listening to a podcast from The National. I am Nasal Al-Wesmi, and this is Beyond the Headlines. This week, we bring you the second part of The National's exclusive interview with Dr. Anwar Gargash, the UAE's Minister of State for Foreign Affairs. The minister discusses the wider Arab world. He talks about the ever-shifting dynamics of the region from the war in Yemen, Iran's influence in the region, and Donald Trump's relationship with the GCC. You can listen to last week's episode to get Dr. Gargash's view of the Qatar crisis a year after the boycott began. And this week, we start off with Yemen. Four years into the war in Yemen, the Arab coalition, including the UAE, is looking at peace beyond the battle. Dr. Gargash said that the future of the Arab world's poorest country relies on addressing what has always been a very complicated string of political affiliations. Dr. Gargash said satisfying the majority of the people's needs is a key priority for the countries involved in reinstating stability in Yemen. Every crisis uh, is uh, a layer of complexities. And I think the Yemen crisis is a layer of the same complexities. So clearly, we have to remember first that Yemen was a functioning state. It had, of course, the difficulties of a state that had few resources, various social and political tensions, etc. But, you know, it was moving. Uh, there was a political dialogue uh, following the you know, demonstrations of 2011-2012. There were agreements that were uh, you know, nurtured and so on and so forth. There was a draft for a new constitution for a new Yemen. And the Houthis really uh, you know, undermined all this. Uh, so we are where we are. So currently, I would say, number one, politically... There is a necessity uh, to back the UN effort. And the UN effort means a lot of different things. I mean, the UN effort will ultimately mean a transition. And that transition will mean that there will be a transition to a new political order in Yemen. I mean, these are the ideas that were brought up in Kuwait. So clearly, with the UN effort, and this is what we're expecting from Martin Griffith to come out, there will be a process, a military and political process. The military military process should see the Houthis pulling out of major urban centers and uh, handing over uh, heavy weaponry, etc. At the same time, the political process should see a devolution of power. And that devolution of power needs to create some sort of transitional body that will include uh, all Yemenis. And this will be a process, in my opinion, not far from many of the ideas that have been discussed over the last uh, three years. The Houthis have been one of the main impediments to reaching an agreement. But currently, I think with the pressure we are putting on them, uh, on Hudaydah, uh, with, uh, with their, I would say, uh, regression following the killing of uh, the late President Ali Saleh, Ali Abdullah Saleh. Uh, I think we are uh, more and more clear that we're changing the calculus through military pressure in order to uh, bring about a political solution. 
a political process is needed because in many cases uh, in Yemen and in, in, in other countries there are many loose threads you know it's not just a question of winning you know these 10 or 15 or 50 kilometers there are many loose threads uh, that we need to tie together this has to be a Yemeni process I mean the coalition fundamentally is concerned about the more macro uh, stability issue. Iran, uh, functioning Yemeni state, missiles, uh, maritime uh, uh, navigation, etc. But the nuts and bolts of an agreement will be UN-led and will be should be Yemeni-driven in many ways because there has to be a lot of compromises between various parties in Yemen. Today, the southerners, for example, uh, have genuine concerns. These genuine concerns have to be discussed within that uh, UN process. At the same time, there will be a devolution of power. It has to be discussed. Uh, there are issues about uh, you know, the, uh, the GPC, the General People's Conference. Where does it lie? And I think this needs quite uh, it needs a UN process, and the UN, UN process also will need a Yemeni dialogue, because you're not really talking about getting out of uh, the current crisis, but you're also talking about uh, addressing uh, Yemen for the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and these are Yemeni questions. On Iraq. Dr. Gergash said that the country has overcome one of its biggest challenges in defeating ISIS. In doing so, it is looking like Iraq is finally returning to becoming one of the Arab world's most prominent actors. Engagement with what was once a regional power will be key to moving forward and creating stability in the region. Iraq has a chance to open a new page. It has defeated ISIS. Uh, it has issues to resolve among them the you know the you know the, the relationship between the central government and the Kurds this needs to be on the mend this will take some time uh, you know it I think the results of uh, of, of Iraq's uh, elections are very interesting from our perspective there is an emphasis by a large part of the Iraqi uh, population on Iraq's uh, Arab roots, and I think we need to build on that. I think we need to be engaged more and more in Iraq. We need to crowd the space on Iran, so we have to be there. I think that it is unrealistic for us to expect that Iranian influence in Iraq uh, will be non-existent, but I think by offering more Arab options, you know, that'll be very important. I think from the U.S. perspective, we've been in Iraq for many years now. We've had a functioning embassy. Uh, we've done everything right in this relationship. And uh, we hope that this will also be consolidated through mutual projects, economic, etc. cetera, uh, projects. That will need also more transparency within the Iraqi uh, political system. So again, I would say that Iraq, uh, it's still a very difficult uh, situation, but it looks much brighter than it did a year, 
look a year ago. And of course, you know, the nature of government that will emerge now among, you know, this sort of, you know, post-election uh, jockeying for space and, and, and position, etc. I think this is something we, we will need to, to analyze. But I think we will need, as Arab states, to get more and more engaged with Iraq. And we need to also accept that Iraq is, uh, you know, is diversified. And as a result, with its, you know, sort of, you know, diverse ethnic composition and religious composition, we have to accept that, uh, uh, you know, there will be things we like, things we don't like, but we need to be engaged. On Iran, Dr. Gergash says leaders should continue curbing the non-Arab actors' role in the internal affairs of the Arab world. He also cautioned leaders on viewing the issue as a sectarian battle. He lauded the most recent Iraq elections as a sign the Arab world is not as black and white as Sunni versus Shia. I mean, the election in Iraq is uh, interesting uh, because, uh, because, first of all, of course, the results are not totally due to regional politics. It's more because of internal Iraqi concerns like any election. But I think beyond that also, there is, you can, you can see in the election that many Iraqis are coming and saying, you know, uh, I'm Iraqi, I'm an Arab, I'm a Shia, I'm a Sunni, I'm a Kurd, whatever it is, but I'm Iraqi. And I think this is fundamentally something that many people did not count on, that this will actually be a strong uh, voice of identity. And I think it shows that there are limits to how much influence Iran can exert in Iraq. I don't say that Iran will not be able to exert influence in Iraq, but clearly we are seeing that there are limits to what can, uh, to, to, to that. And I think fundamentally this brings us back to the view of the UAE on uh, the nature of sectarian politics that we have seen uh, govern the region over the last 10 years. Fundamentally, this has been a real problem because if you come to Arab Shias and describe their, you know, sectarian identity as Iranian, then you're already saying, you know, I've lost you. And I think fundamentally this is a problem. And I think this also doesn't really sway with what the UAE is calling for, for moderate Arab center. So clearly part and parcel of our approach is to try and, and, and sort of, uh, you know, extract the region from looking at issues from a sectarian prison, because that has been, in my opinion, uh, you know, a failure. It's led to more violence, and it has weakened the Arab world in, uh, fundamentally. Uh, again, the Iranians are uh, suffering uh, in Yemen. Their ability to try and exert influence in Yemen uh, are very limited because we have been successful. True that they are still able to uh, try and, and, and send in some drones and send in uh, you know, uh, missiles, etc. But fundamentally, missiles are uh, uh, not 
changing the calculus on the ground. Missiles are used to terrorize uh, civilian populations. They are not really changing how the war is 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 moving in Yemen. Uh, again, uh, I think Iran is also tested in Syria. Uh, Iran is tested, uh, and we've seen in in the various demonstrations uh, in in December of last year, and the, you know the, the subsequent demonstrations that clearly in the Iranian psyche, the normal Iranian is uh, he's linking two things together. His uh, current, let's say, uh, disappointing living standard with the spend of his country in uh, theaters like Syria or to Hezbollah or others. So while Iran continues to be very aggressive, while Iran still has this sort of messianic, sectarian, uh, view to be the major regional power in the region. I would argue that uh, Iran is also getting its own blues and it's not a sort of linear uh, progression uh, and, and we see that. And I think the more we can actually support an Arab center, the more I think we can get agreement by more and more Arab countries and more public opinion that uh, regardless of our own feuds and issues, they are our feuds and issues, and they should not entail Turkish intervention in Iraq or in Syria or Iranian intervention in Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. Iran's role in the region has become a troubling reality for all Arab actors. This is perhaps most evident in Syria. Dr. Gargash is convinced that the path to peace in Syria is through a political solution and that it needs to happen fast as the country enters its eighth year of a brutal civil war. But Arab countries will find difficulty engaging in dialogue with a country that has been all but isolated from the rest of the region. Well, again, I think number one, there are three, four important points that I want to mention here on Syria. The first one is the earlier realization by the UAE that this issue needs a political solution. I think we have come to that conclusion a few years ago. And we said, you know, this sort of uh, choice between, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda-based opposition or some of it Al-Qaeda-based opposition or Assad is a false choice. Don't try and present us with that choice. We need a political process uh, because only a political process will resolve the crisis in, in, in Syria. And there has been a failure of, uh, of diplomacy in Syria. So fundamentally, that is the UAE's position. That's number one. Number two is we tried also and keep trying to distinguish between the Russian position and the Iranian position. And we're saying that the Russian position fundamentally has come in to help an ally of Russia, Bashar al-Assad, but at the same time to address the issue of ISIS and the issue of terrorism in Syria. And it is in the interest of Moscow to convert that into a political solution. Iran's interest is different here. Iran's interest is to uh, create influence, sphere of influence in Syria, and to build on it, 
and this is part of the sort of creeping influence of Iranian geostrategy in the Arab world that we've seen in Iraq and we've seen in, uh, in Lebanon and uh, they have attempted it in Bahrain and are attempting it uh, in Yemen. So fundamentally we look at uh, the two issues differently. The other important component of what the UAE is calling for right now is uh, the necessity of a return to an Arab rule. So clearly here, uh, with hindsight, I think it was a mistake to kick Syria out of the Arab League because it meant we had no uh, political leverage at all. We had no uh, open channels. We had no political leverage. We could not present any sort of Arab uh, you know, uh, prism to how the Syrian issue should be resolved. And I think this, uh, at the height of it, we saw uh, you know, Moscow, Tehran, and uh, Ankara uh, meet together to decide the fate of Syria. So suddenly, no Arab presence, no Arab role, not even the Syrian regime was part of this sort of trilateral discussion. So clearly, that's also another area that we are pushing for. So fundamentally, we do feel that there is a necessity to insist and to support and fully back a political process. And we see that Geneva is the right political process. Fundamentally, we uh, feel that we do need to uh, crowd the space, the Iranian space, in Syria, meaning that there has to be more of an Arab, uh, Arab presence. And I think more and more there is an acceptance that the fate of Assad needs to be uh, decided uh, within a Syrian context is no longer an issue as a prerequisite as it was being mentioned uh, a few years ago. But clearly, I think the UAE is, uh, you know, is uh, still sees a very complicated and complex issue in Syria, and still is, uh, you know, still believes that this issue is not going to be won militarily by anybody. And again, I come back to this sort of example of the various threads. And these threads need really a political process to try and, and, and put them together. As for the United States, Dr. Gargash says that the Donald Trump administration has a solid understanding of the region. But there are still some issues that are of some concern to the UAE and the rest of the Arab world. We see we see actually several policies that are very positive from the American administration. Number one, uh, we see that there is uh, more of an understanding about the politics of stability in the region. So clearly, uh, for us, this is very important. I mean, it is extremely important for us that American, uh, that American uh, policy in the region is supportive of a stable Egypt and a stable Saudi Arabia because fundamentally we think of these two as, as pillars. Uh, we see also that sort of thing in a continued American commitment towards Iraq, another very important Arab uh, country. So fundamentally we, uh, we see that part of the policy. There is an emphasis on stability. 
I think the second part, which is important also, uh, is uh, the uh, is uh, is the what I would say the prioritization of fighting extremism and terrorism, and we see that support, for example, in a commitment to defeat ISIS in Syria and Iraq, and the job is almost done now. And I think this has been quite a, an impressive feat. And at the same time, we see that also in a commitment uh, in fighting Al-Qaeda in Yemen. We're feeling it because we're spearheading that fight, but also American support, political and logistical, is very important for us. So that is another component that we think is very positive. Uh, then we come to the issue of Iran. And I think the American administration got it right. Because what we have really seen is an Iran that was emboldened following the 2015 uh, agreement. I mean, Iran would have never dreamt prior to the 2015 agreement of using its own ballistic missiles in Arab theaters uh, in, uh, in, in such a callous and a responsible way. And I think uh, what what we're really seeing is a clearer American understanding that you can't trust this current regime in Iran. And as a result, you know, our verification has to be much tougher. You know, we can't trust that, uh, you know, that 12 years from now Iran will keep its word. This will actually lead to uh, a nuclear race here if Iran doesn't. And everything it says in the region is problematic. Now, I understand that some people are saying that the 5 plus 1 agreement, the JCPOA, was not about regional Iran's regional politics. But this is not how it was sold to us. It was sold to us that this is a nuclear deal with Iran that will allow Iran to be more integrated into the global economy and the global community and act more as a responsible regional Player and will will embolden also the, the 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 more moderate factions within its theological regimes. Now that was very naive and never happened. So clearly, I would say that uh, we're very supportive. We're so very supportive of the call now to try and 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 look at a new deal that will address these concerns. The fourth area, though, we have disagreements also, also with the United States. We have disagreements over the Middle East peace process. We think that uh, the decision to uh, to move Jerusalem, you know, the, the American embassy uh, to Jerusalem undermines uh, what looks like a very feeble two-state solution now. And we really honestly believe that if we continue on this trajectory the two-state solution will no longer be a viable uh, option. We're still waiting for uh, President Trump's uh, you know, proposal on, uh, on, on, on how a deal will look like, and I, don't think, I think we have to reserve judgment until we see it. But we do have serious concerns about a two-state solution. And I think in many ways, if this continues, we will be looking perhaps five, seven years down the road uh, 
the, the, the one-state solution will become more of a mainstream discussion. So clearly, this is how we are seeing these issues with the current American administration. Thanks to Dr. Anwar Gargash for his time. You can read more and follow our latest coverage of the topics discussed on our website, thenational.ae. I'd also like to thank Kevin Jeffers for producing the show. I'm Nasal Wesmi. Please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. Thank you for listening and goodbye.